a lot of young artists will hit me up, right? A lot of writers, et cetera. And there's one common theme. 98% of them never, ever think to acknowledge any music that I've created, you know? And it blows my mind. And there's no ego involved. It's not about ego. I don't care. I just want to know that you took the five minutes to actually think this through. Because if you don't have that intellectual curiosity, then as a writer... I don't know how intellectually curious you are as a writer in a room. I don't know what you're capable of because if you're just sort of doing cut, paste, cut and paste, and you're not thinking, you know, two steps ahead, I don't know um, if we're the right fit. You have to understand, I have such reverence for the art because unlike many writers, I never conceptualized a plan B. For me, I will do anything to stay in it creatively i'll get better and better and better which is why it's hard to box me out of it because Mm. while people are sleeping i'm out working you know i want it that bad i respect kids i respect the ogs you know i can learn from anybody in a session and i um I'm just always sort of trying to, you know, make sure that I manifest knowledge at the end of the day that I pulled from these different disparate disparate sort of sources Mm -hmm. to create something rad. And that's why I wake up in the morning. And if I can do that, it was the best day on earth and I can't believe I got to do it. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book Third edition coming very soon. My guest today is Sam Hollander. You ready for this? He's written 22 U.S. top 40 hits as well as 10 number ones. He's had 10 top five singles. 87 songs of his that he's written or produced have reached the top 10 chart positions globally. His songs collectively have been streamed 7 billion times. In 2019, he held the number one position on the Billboard Rock Songwriters chart for nine weeks. He's made Variety's Hitmakers list. He's been named Rolling Stone's Hot List Producer of the Year. He has written with Panic at the Disco, One Direction, Katy Perry, Ringo Starr, Def Leppard, Carol King, Weezer, Jewel, Train, Fits in the Tantrums, Billy Idol, Tom Morello, Paul Williams, Niall Rogers, Cindy Lauper, Donna Summer, just to name a few. Yeah, he is a living legend. Uh, if you're interested in songwriting, uh, namely hit songwriting, well, this is the episode for you. Sam and I get into everything from how to break in to the industry right now to how he's had such a successful career spanning three decades, how he got his start later in life, believe it or not, and just kind of the journey he took to get there. We talk about, you know, he sold his catalog 
this is a big thing in the last five years or so. And he talks about the business of uh, what it means to sell your publishing catalog. And he gets into all of that. He talks about sessions and, and how to carry yourself in the room and what songwriting sessions these days are looking like, how songwriting has shifted and evolved from the beginning when he got started, when it's just kind of the songwriters and the acoustic guitars in the room to where we're at now. And everybody kind of has their role and all of that writing for artists versus writing with artists in the room. So this is a very illuminating episode. We cover so many topics. It was so easy to talk to Sam. He's such a great guy. Oh, and by the way, he's got a new book, 21 Hit Wonder. The subtitle is Flopping My Way to the Top of the Charts, Adventures in Songwriting. So go check out that book. We'll link it in the show notes, or you can find the book wherever you books are sold. I can't wait to read it. It's not out yet uh, when I'm recording this, so I'm, I'll am i be the first to buy. I've already pre-ordered it. Very excited to read this one. As always, like, follow, subscribe to this show. However you're listening to this right now, just pause it real quick. Hit that follow button. Hit that subscribe button. You'll get all future episodes in your feed. If you haven't reviewed the show and you've listened to a few episodes and you dig it, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. If you want us to keep making these, those really help, and it tells us all that you dig it, and you appreciate them, and uh, that's how we know, all right, let's 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 keep this going. You can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find me at Ari Herstan on Instagram and Twitter. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. That's where you're going to get to most up-to-date information, the most relevant stuff. We send out emails, very important. We take Q&As, all of that stuff. Ari'sTake.com, get on the email list. All right, let's kick into the show. Sam Hollander, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, sir? It's good to meet you. Yeah, yeah, you too. I'm doing well. Um, So uh, this is, uh, I'm excited to to chat with you. You know, I don't know if you know or or how often you browse the... uh, the Spotify songwriters, the the new notable thing, but uh, Spotify apparently says you you have three hundred and thirty four songs that uh, you've written that have currently been released. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't, but I would tell you the three hundred and thirty second wasn't very strong. <laughs> I if figured, I could take yeah. that one back, you know, that's the one that didn't change at all. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> These are that's just the number that's been released. If you had to guess, how many songs do you think you've written in your lifetime? Oh man. You know, <laughs> honest answer, I've probably written, you know, twelve hundred songs, maybe fifteen hundred songs. Okay. And no, I've committed many musical crimes along the way. So I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh that's isn't that isn't that the point? Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, how you honestly, push the envelope. That's why I'm here, you know. Yeah. Hey, Ari, totally. I'm a big fan, man. I love your show. But just so you know, Thank man, you. I uh, during the pandemic, I discovered you no because shit. as I was hibernating in the woods here, you know, I was constantly scouring YouTube for some some semblance of uh, artistic reinvigoration. And I love what you were doing, man. I love what you're doing because I think it's empowering. And I have a, you know, I have a 16 year old kid who who is musical and is interested in this industry as well. And I just think it's well, the messaging that you're giving is fantastic because it really is about the the new music a bit, you know, the new music business. Um, yeah. And uh, it is it is changing so radically, mm. and you have to follow the paradigm and sort of be aware of it. Now that you're you seem to you know have your uh, 
you know, your, uh, your eyes on it. And it's very, it's very, it's very neat. So oh, Sam, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. That's uh, really nice to hear. Thank you. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I think you're in this, this field that um, is quite elusive to most people, well, definitely outside of the industry. I don't think people quite grasp uh, the profession of a uh, of a songwriter, a professional songwriter. But even those in the industry, the artists that I speak to, um, you know, in the business. So, if you could maybe just explain my day what, job. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you. To be honest with you, I'm a shapeshifter because. Okay. It, uh, it's a radical reinvention based on the collaboration. I'm a, I'm a professional collaborator, so let me start with that. I, like that. I, uh, I, like that. I can sit down and I can certainly uh, write my own song. I do it all the time. But I think the greatest attribute that uh, I would sort of uh, uh, label myself, you know, give myself, a, if I were to fix it to myself, would be uh, I collaborate well. And... Mm that that role shifts uh, uh, depending on the artist. And I, I don't write a, a ton of pitch songs. And, and what you do know, you mean that, by pitch songs? So pitch songs, I don't write uh, songs for placement. So I have not historically been a writer who uh, sits and says, hey, I want to send this to Rihanna or I want to send this to so-and-so. Got it. I, I didn't really enter the industry that way. And that is a, that wasn't born out of any sort of cynicism or anything along those lines. When I attempted to do it, I felt like I was always doing carbon copy facsimiles of something that didn't have my voice attached. And mm. what I do is, you know, I'm primarily uh, uh, what, what's deemed a top liner. So that's writing lyric and melody. Okay. But, you know, uh, I think what, what works for me is the fact that I produced so many records along the way early on mm. that in a session I can instantly swap roles and you know if i need to make a beat i can make a beat and i can arrange a song on the fly mm -hmm. so if i'm working with a younger writer who might be particularly lyrical i might be able to you know i can take a step back there's no heavy lifting there but i can shape the melodies and i know how mm -hmm. to do that and sort of find the spaces and find the holes and know where to create tension mm -hmm. and you know, some days I'm a therapist, man. Some days, you know, <laughs> artists come in and my role is really to just sort of uh, provide some form of uh, a sounding board and hopefully, uh, you know, some insight and maybe some catharsis in the process. And hopefully, you know, we mm. can dig into something that channels something weightier, you know. And mm. so it, it, it alternates based on the session, which is why I've been able to do it so long, because it has never been stale for me, because, you know, there's always a curveball based on the on the week. There's somebody new and, sure. you know, it, it's always art fueled by experiment. And just, you know, we do that thing until it connects. So are most of your rooms, most of your sessions with artists that are intending to potentially cut this song that uh, you're writing right there? We would hope, yeah. So sure. I prefer to work one-on-one -on -one with an artist. Um, you know, that, that that in this day and age, that's become tougher because it is there, there tends to be more committee, which I'm okay with because it's akin to like writing a blockbuster film where there's a lot of punch-ups along the way. So mm -hmm. I've had songs with a lot of names on them, but I, I really, I'd like to believe on all of them. It, I, I think it's pretty clear what I did because I, 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 I hear my voice. So, mm. and I, I think that's so, uh, that's imperative for me or else I would disconnect from the, from the work. 
Yeah, no, that's great. Um, can you describe what you mean by punch-ups along the way and, and how maybe uh, the process potentially has, has evolved and shifted from when you first started to <laughs> what you mean by writing a, by committee these days? Sure. When I started out, um, there was a kumbaya aspect to writing, right? It was a okay. feel-good, man, a couple acoustic guitars, and we'd sit there and you know, it was lovely and it was very primal and I, I, I really connected to that forum. But once track, you know, entered the, the realm and then actually track became king in many situations, A, on a track, there, there can be 10 writers attached to a track because I wasn't in the room. I have no idea how it was, how it was constructed. Maybe it's rooted in a sample where there are a bunch of writers on a sample clearance. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's kids who did, one kid did the snare drum and he, he's getting publishing because he's the snare, you know? And maybe <laughs> sure. there's, there's the hi-hat guy. And, you know, I would love to tell you I'm joking, but I've actually witnessed this. Because, oh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll get song splits and I'll just, you know, call my publisher up and say, hey, by the way, man, there's like 12 people on this. I've never heard of any of them. He's like, oh, wait, no, that guy's snare, that guy's hi-hat, you know? <laughs> but the truth is, you know, in a, if you were writing a uh, popcorn summer movie, you yeah. would have, you know, the initial draft, then you'd have the rewriters, and then you'd have people doing comedic punch-ups or dramatic mm. punch-ups or whatever. And yeah. some people in film are credited, some aren't, but I would say it, it is, um, it takes a village. And mm. in this one, um, to make something competitive in this day and age, to raise its hand, sometimes it takes that many people. Also, mm. sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's a 17 year old kid with really bad acne who was sitting behind his laptop and he made his first beat. And that's the biggest thing in the world. So Phineas and Billie Eilish, right. I mean, they made yeah, it. All I'm not commenting yeah. on his skin. I don't know what his skin tone is like. <laughs> so I'm in no position. I did not say that. I don't know him. Jeez, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we had, uh, we had Roger Shahayed on the show. Um, he was of course uh, nominated for producer of the year last year. Mm -hmm. He's the piano on Travis Scott's sicko mode. Hence why he's one of the 27 writers, I think, that's on that track or something abs absurd about that. Yeah. But you know what's fantastic is you've already just identified what he did. Yeah. You know? Yes. And, you know, I've always looked at writing. Uh, I've, always, uh, I've always connected writing in terms of a police lineup, right? Mm. If I could take 100 writers that I've collaborated with along the way in Los Angeles or Nashville, and I went down the line... If I could, uh, if I can affix like a, a descriptive to somebody that's unique, mm -hmm. I know they're a real writer to mm. me. Like there's somebody that that hits me. So hey, she's super lyrical. He's super melodic. Uh, her tracks are incredible. His arrangements are incredibly good on the line. But if I just get to like, oh, solid, it's going to be harder for the solid writer to make it to claw through. Uh... You know, it's that competitive. You have to have something uniquely sort of uh distinctive about yourself and if you're collaborating let's say whatever the rihanna song was that i think it was work or one of these records had like 40 writers on it or whatever and there was all this outcry the people were furious about it but the truth is if i'm one of the 40 as long as i can define what i did mm. and stand by it and say hey this record doesn't work unless i added this sprinkled this little bit of pixie dust on it then you know, it's tougher, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really uh, important thing to remember. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think um, 
but you know how important it is for songwriters to have a voice and to be good at something or to, to be confident in, in something that they're contributing to know what their strengths are. Like you said, you're a top liner, your lyrics and melody and knowing that strength, but knowing your voice and that you're proud to be able to identify when the track comes out that, oh yeah, this sounds like me, even though there might be 15 writers on this, this, my voice is still uh, maintained throughout this process and it's distinctive and you have that absolutely in your songs. I can hear that. And it's something that um, I think it's it's important for a lot of young writers to hear that and remember this because I think when a lot of uh, maybe emerging songwriters are aspiring to be these songwriters that get the cuts, that get the hits and are like, oh, this will be good for Rihanna. This will be good for, you know, Carrie Underwood, whatever. It's kind of like, the lowest common denominator that they're trying to appeal to. It's just like, well, we don't, you know, and then it's like they're creating songs that theoretically could be lifted and popped on any artist. But, you know, uh, there's songwriters out there that have a distinctive voice. Like Julia Michaels is another one where it's like you can hear a song no matter who's singing it. You know it's a Julia Michaels song. I can tell Julia's stuff a mile away. I totally agree with that. Look, man, you know, when I, I, we've all been seduced by the play, the, um, the placement game at one point or another. A quick, sure. tell you a quick story. I uh, about ten years ago, I just moved out to Los Angeles, and I ended up going to get a coffee at Earth Cafe. Pouring outside, I'm sort of packed densely with all these sort of humans in a very tight space pre-COVID, sure. obviously. Yeah. And uh, 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 Becca Tishker is sitting right behind me. She's an incredible, world-class publisher, and she's sitting behind me, and she's in a conversation with some Swedish cat. And she's pitching him on writing with her stable of writers. And I'm listening to it because I'm eavesdropping and not because I'm that guy, but because she's literally, we're touching (laughs) shoulders. And she said to me, you know, she said something and he said, oh, with my band, we did so-and-so, a pretty thick accent. And I whipped my chair around and I said, oh my God, you're the guy from the cardigans. You're the guy from the cardigans. And I started making this guy really uncomfortable. Yeah. His, his name is Peter Svensson. And uh-huh. you could tell he was a little a little puzzled. I said, Oh, you remember that show in Tramps in New York City in 1995? And there were like 45 girls standing up front and one creepy guy. I was the guy. <laughs> I was the super fan, you know? Yeah. So, you know, uh uh Becca suggested that we write together. She paired us with um a track, a uh, quote unquote track guy named Kojak, who's a really great producer. And the three of us get together to write. Now I was under the uh, illusion falsely that we were going to write a cardigan song, which for me would have <laughs> yeah. been the apex of great. Dream. They had made yeah. a record in probably a decade. I didn't care. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And these guys had their eyes on the prize. So they said, Hey, why don't we try to write something for one direction? Mm-hmm. So I knew uh, what makes you beautiful, and you know I knew a, a couple of the other songs of that first record. So I thought, oh yeah, 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 sure. Now this was the hardest record to access that year, right? This was everybody in, in LA is trying to write for this record everywhere sure. in London, etc. So I go outside and I scribble something on a piece of paper, and I, you know, I sort of have it in ten minutes, literally just something I heard in my head. It was called "Rock Me," and I thought it was, you know, it was kind of sexy and kind of fun and maybe boy bandy, but a little more dangerous, blah, blah, sure. you know, but I, yeah. I, t- I, I connected to it and I brought it inside and they said, Oh, that's great. And then Peter starts singing the Swedish melody and it's nuts because just that, you know, the yeah. sophistication of what he did was incredible. Kojak throws down a really fresh beat. 
And we finished this demo two hours. We go eat some great Thai food in LA. Great, no harm, no foul, fun day with nice guys, right? Sure. Next day, we get emails from Simon Fuller, maybe Simon Cowell, Dr. Mm-hmm. Luke, like all these people are chiming in. It's like, hit, 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 it's going on the record, hit, hit. So of course, you know, I uh, like a moth to a flame. Suddenly I'm thinking, oh, I have spent all these years with these needy artists. Right. One on one in this emotional <laughs> death trap with these unpaid people, therapy, unpaid right. therapy, you know, <laughs> just completely miserable when I could have just written for 15 minutes and got a one direction cut. Wow. This is so empowering. So we spent the next 30 days together writing, man. Mm. And we wrote 30 songs, I would say. And mm-hmm. during that time, I can state with, with utter clarity that we wrote the 30 worst songs of my career. And the worst part of it is that I was the problem, not these guys. Mm. Those guys were completely dialed in. I wasn't because I was chasing something because this wasn't what my heart, you know, um, my musical heart, this is never what I aspired to be. I aspired Mm. to be a guy at the end of the day. I know what I look like. I look better behind a curtain. I love the idea of me and an artist in a room and I am a screenwriter and I'm uh, something now Rogers once said to me, it's writing a sequel to a movie. It's like, I, I always felt like I was writing an artist's sequel when I write. Mm, mm. And that's what brings me joy, man. It's like that. I, I, I love that. I love the idea that every day, man, I'm writing these little narratives or, or tales or just, you know, just connecting the stuff inside of me and also trying to find the voice of the artist and draw it out of them and find, find their tendencies, et cetera. And all of that was lost in my, my trying to write placement songs where I was doing my version of, well, hey, maybe Rihanna cut this or maybe someone cut this. And these songs were god awful. And I, I uh, Ari, I discussed this in my book, uh, 21 Hit Wonder, mm-hmm. flopping my way to the top of the charts via Matt Holt, Ben Bella, and Penguin Random House on November 1st. You like that? I'm, I'm really trying to work on this. Oh, don't point. worry. I got it on my notes. So they, we're going to hit keep, the book whether they, you run they, it up or not. But they but keep uh, telling me to do that. They keep saying, hey, Don't man, even worry. I got it on no, the, I'm uh, struggling with the diary. I can't even get the words out. Um, I got it. I got it. But no, but I'll tell you, yes. I'll tell you. The, uh, but yeah, no, the uh, I chased this for a while. And the funny thing is we were on our last demo. I'm flying back east. And Peter Svensson sent me a melody that they had started and they wanted the lyric for. And it went... I got to, got to go. I got to, got to go. And I'm not embellishing that. It really, that's what it sounded like. So to mm. me, it sounded like a something that maybe in Stockholm would be a fishing anthem or something, but it did not <laughs> sound like anything that I could connect to. So sure. I tried to write it. And every time we were texting back and forth on the plane, I kept saying, yeah, yeah, I can't sing that. Can I, I'm going to write something in place. They said, no, it has, the chorus has to start with, I got to, got to go. Got to, got to. He kept saying got to, got to. And honestly, it was making me nuts. We got off the plane, threw down my headset. I'm done. So we never wrote together again. So two years later, Ariana Grande drops a, drops a single called Love Me Harder that was a number one everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And the, the lyric was, you got to, got to love me harder, written by Peter Spencer. Mm-hmm. And I learned something in the process, which was, you know, there's a reason why these cats do what they do. And yeah. there's a reason why I do what I do. And yep. so um, did that answer it? Uh, I don't remember the question, but yes, it answered it. And so, hey, uh, that's the, we're going to go on many journeys. <laughs> I always say, man, we're going to drift. I love it. 
But, you know, it's it, those it, Swedes, you know, those those damn Swedes. It, it doesn't matter what if the lyrics really make sense or not. It's like, uh, you know, I, I was um, like, uh, I, I want it that way. You know, it's like, what way? What are you talking about? What way do you want it? What do you, that doesn't make any sense. But it's one of the biggest hits of the last 20 years. It's just like, you know, it's that kind of a thing that they keep doing so well. It's like they know what it needs to sound like and they know what's going to be a hit. Doesn't really, understand. lyrics are kind of, you know. <laughs> lyrics, lyrics, at least in my experiences, mean nothing in the process or less so, but they certainly, the phonetics are everything and the, yes. and the melodic math is everything. Yes. And these guys are really, all of these guys could put on lab coats and be world-class scientists. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they get under the hood of something. But I will tell you, melodically, every Swedish writer I've ever worked with, I hate to generalize, but... They just have it. I think it's born from, you know, folk songs and stuff that date back from the, I would say, 18 or 1900s that they're just embedded in them. They just sure. melodically, their stuff is so much sharper, at least in my taste, you know, for mm. certainly the pop end of it. So yeah. I'm a big, big fan. Um, but lyrically, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I, I, I try to write, you know, I'm a guy who grew up on Donald Fagan records and Steely Dan and, <laughs> you know, Joe Jackson and all this stuff that's like sure. slightly biting and snarky. And I inject that stuff and it never registers. They don't care. Nice. Yes, nice. does it? But doesn't sing well. Does not sing right, well. Right, right, right. Yeah. Of course, of so, course. Yeah. yeah, you're not writing Death Cab songs. No. Uh, no. <laughs> so um, what would be your advice to kind of aspiring songwriters that are looking to do what you do, especially this day and age, now that we have evolved so far from the Kumbaya stage of sitting in the room with guitars, like, what do you tell young songwriters when it's like, I want to be a professional songwriter. I don't want to be the guy on stage. I don't want to be the artist. Like I want to get songs cut. Where do I start? What do I do? Well, I mean, obviously TikTok changed the landscape, right? Because I could, I could, I will answer this, but the flip side is there will be some kid someplace tonight who puts up that track and tomorrow has a million dollar offer. And it has a whirlwind and might be out of the business in a year and a half. So yeah. it's, it's transient, but it's hard. So it's hard for me to proselytize, you know, mm-hmm. these notions without mentioning that the flip side okay. is for me, um, everything was born out of tenacity. So okay. um, when I began, you know, I, uh, I wasn't the most gifted. I wasn't the best looking. I certainly wasn't, you know, I, I I had a lot of holes in my game, man. But the one thing I was lyrical mm-hmm. and I was tenacious. And I, you know, I, I say this all the time, but I used to stand outside of the Black Rock building where CBS Records was. And I had a knapsack full of cassettes and, I, you know, and unlike every other kid hawking demos, I was the one who went to the newsstand on both at 72nd and Columbus where I lived and next to my brother's apartment, which is down on uh, 21st and 6th Avenue. And I would memorize billboard cover to cover because I wouldn't pay for the subscription. I was struggling, but I would memorize the photos and particularly the gold and platinum presentation photos mm. and the A&R faces I would memorize. So it didn't matter if it was at co records or, you know, where it would be a Sylvia Rohn or something like that, you know, sure. uh, Electra when Krasnow was there, or if it was during the Donnie Einer, Mitchell Cohen, guys like that, you know, I memorized, you know, uh, what's his name? Okay, I lived in, there's a guy who lived up here too. Uh, I would memorize their names and faces. Sure. And I would accost them. 
but I would do it with respect and just walk up and say, hi, I'm Sam, this is my demo. And I am a huge fan of the record that you and A&R that just went platinum and blah, 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 blah. And I just, you know, it was the facial recognition that I think set me apart because I took the time and I put in the due diligence to respect mm. people's time. Then at night, I hung out at every club in the city um, from, you know, the Luna Lounge and Max Fish all the way to, to um, you know, to uh, Brownies and Mercury Lounge and just uh, AKAs, just all the venues in Manhattan. And I met everybody and I never met, you know, uh, I wasn't privy to upper level A&R, but I met all the assistants mm. and I met all the assistants to the lawyers in town. And, you know, I met junior publicists and along the way I connected and made friendships with people who I built with. And the most important thing is the landscape continually shifts. But one thing that we all know is that the next generation will rise. So I came up with uh, some incredible people along the way. And these are people, I think, who believed in me because they didn't <laughs> they didn't understand where I really stood in the playing field yet. Sure. They didn't realize that they shouldn't be believing me yet. But there are people who really uh, took flyers on me as a human. Mm. And, you know, man, those are the relationships that changed my life, truthfully. Mm. So the most important thing I would say is craft is king study, study, study. We'll get into that. You, you know, we'll, I'd yeah. love to discuss it further, but totally. the one thing is, that gets lost is networking supersedes yes. all in the music industry. If you are, um, if you are, uh, just, uh, genetically sort of, uh, predisposed to be an introvert and you're, you're, you're more comfortable on your couch, then you know what, maybe partner with somebody, either a young aspiring manager or a partner, who is on the streets hustling because yeah. you're not going to get heard. And when I grew up, remember mm -hmm. there, you know, I came of age in an era of no internet. And mm -hmm. I say that to, you know, to people and sometimes it doesn't, the magnitude of that statement doesn't connect, mm -hmm. but man, there was no internet. Right. So my life was sending cassettes <laughs> in the mail in the rain and yeah. do it, you know, and it was such, the stakes were so much higher because sure. it was so hard to permeate. Now anybody can like hack into any list of executives and power. Everyone's accessible these days. Everyone's yes. accessible. Nobody was accessible back then. So you sure. really had to go above and beyond. I was one of those cats who did it. You know? I mean, you brought up, there's there's a lot of really great uh, takeaways from how you did in your story. And, and a lot of it uh, relates to today. And I think, you know, the big thing is like what you said, when you went up to one of these ANRs that you recognize from Billboard, from the photos in Billboard magazine, um, a free billboard magazine. The free, right, right free yeah. billboard magazine for the yeah. newsstands. Um, and you opened with a compliment. You said, I really loved the record that you AR. There's so much in that one opening sentence that I, you know, I think we all lose track of. Everyone's a human being. Like everyone out there appreciates a compliment maybe some recognition, especially the business people who do not get the glory of being on stage every night. They're behind the scenes. How often do you think they're getting compliments or get being thanked? Ari, Very Ari, rare. Ari, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go into my DMs either on um, Instagram or Facebook, sometimes Twitter. And uh, a lot of young artists will hit me up, right? A lot of writers, et cetera. And there's one common theme. 98% of them never 
ever think to acknowledge any music that I've created, you know, and it blows my mind and there's no ego involved. It's not about ego. I don't care. I just want to know that you took the five minutes to actually think this through, because if you don't have that intellectual curiosity, then as a writer, I don't know how intellectually curious you are as a writer in a room. I don't know what you're capable of because if you're just sort of doing cut, paste, cut and paste, and you're not thinking, you know, two steps ahead, I I don't, you know, I I don't know um, if we're the right fit. That's, I mean, that's a really great point. And it's just like so much about collaborating that you said you're a professional collaborator. So much about the collaboration process and the songwriting process is about the hang is this going to be a good hang? Is this going to be a relationship that I want to cultivate? Is this someone that I want to be intimate with in a room for three, four hours or longer or whatever? And like, if it's just, hey, want to write with me? Like, hey, I'm the best writer you'll ever meet. You should my I'm about to get, you know, it's just like that doesn't feel like someone that you'd want to be in the room with, uh, let alone, you know, I say that all the time. That's going to be the same guy who, if I check out his page, will have 200 posts with hashtags that say wrote four smashes today. Yeah. Wrote five smashes, (laughs) smash town, six smash in one hour. I've run, you know, it's like, you know, man, look, youth is wasted on the young. It's awesome. You know, it's awesome. I love the fire and I love the spark, Yeah, but you have to understand I have, um, I have such reverence for the art, Mm. you know, because unlike many writers, I never conceptualized a plan B for me. This was the only passion that I was ever able to articulate. And that started 14 or 15 years old, 14 years old. So because of that, I will do anything to stay in it creatively. I'll get better and better and better, which is why it's hard to box me out of it. Because mm. while people are sleeping, I'm out working. You know, yeah. Yeah. I want it that bad. I respect kids. I respect the OGs, you know. Sure. I can learn from anybody in a session and I um I'm just always sort of trying to, you know, make sure that I manifest knowledge at the end of the day that I pulled mm-hmm. from these different disparate disparate sort of sources mm-hmm. to create something rad and that's why mm-hmm. I wake up in the morning. And if I can do that, it was the best day on earth and I can't believe I got to do it, you know. I love that and that I mean, it's so important to hold true to that and like you're talking about before it's just like you you wrote that that one direction cut and then the 30 worst songs of your career because you were chasing and you were doing it for the wrong reasons you know quincy jones uh said to me he's like you know if you do it for the money god walks out of the room and uh <laughs> it's like it's true True. It's true. And and you, 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 yeah, you were starry-eyed and you were like, oh, let's do a bunch more of these. And oh my God, I'm, you know. And then it's like, but then when you like you just mentioned art, and I think, you know, we lose track of that songs, this is an art form, and songwriting is an art form, and and songs are pieces of art. And there's a lot of craft that goes into it, no doubt, of course. I mean, you're a pop songwriter, and like you, you know, there's a formula and there's a craft and everything, but Talk to me about that balance between the art and the craft. 
Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Well, I was blessed along the way to collaborate with people who were masters of craft when I had artier inclinations. So that was um, that was really imperative in my growth as a writer because when I started out, like everybody else, I begin journaling with bad teenage poetry and stanzas and stuff like that. Sure. And just all this unrequited stuff of sort of being like a funny looking dude who struggled with chicks. You know, and as I um, began to, you know, began to twist and turn these things in the songs, I worked with many folks along the way who had really mastered craft, who taught me how to take my thing and shape it, but never to like uh, strip the strip the me out of it. And mm. that has been the secret to my success. And look, man, at the end of the day, I've always viewed my career through a lens of um, I'm not Swedish. I am not look at, I mean, look at me. I'm certainly not Swedish, <laughs> but I am. I, so I'm incapable of shaping something to such specific melodic sort of math and just sort of that uh, perfection on one end. 
Sure. I'm also not arcade fire, right? So I exist in this some some sort of amorphous space, like in the middle, where mm-hmm. I'm like slightly cool, mm-hmm. you know. And what happens with that is uh, it, I'm able to maintain my voice in the process. So. I know lyrically my stuff's always going to have like quirks and little, little, there's little tricks that I have, I've created of my own that work within the framing of craft, but are still sort of out there and trippy that sort of, uh, that make it somewhat definably my thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And that took probably the 1500, 1200 songs to get it, you know, this wasn't something I had early on. This was just, Trial, error, 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 trial, error, you know, and that's how you get there. Do you know when you finish a song if it's good or not? Yeah, 100%. The ones that uh, I've rarely missed in terms of the ones that um, the ones that uh, lived on and survived and actually thrived, I get uh, instantly have galvanic responses you know i know there's just something uh something innate in the process that you feel and mm. it, it's hard to it, it's not it's not particularly tangible but i would say i know when it happens and the ones that are good they're always going to be good man it, like honestly for the most part i'm a professional songwriter a professional songwriter should have a good song every time out. Not a great song, but yeah. you should be at least get a good song because you know sure. enough to get it across the line to a finished product that sort of works where everything is logical. Sure. But the ones that go to the next level and just continue to uh, build, I can feel it, man. I can mm. feel it. And I have really specific memories of each of them. If I go down my discography, all the ones that really worked, I know, I remember the moment where I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, yeah. ooh. Yeah. That's that's nasty. That channels right you know? through you. Yeah. You're just 100%. like a vessel that's ushering it out 100%. into the world. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so talk to me uh, about... Um, by the way, I'm sorry my room is so disgusting, by the way. We are uh, in the process of renovating a house. So everything is... <laughs> so I don't even know what's behind me. I haven't even looked at it. Um, well, I see I've, a microphone that yeah, I was curious. I was like, are you yeah, talking through? You're just no, talking through no, the, the no, MacBook like, speed mic. Okay. It's my kid's setup for Got her, it. Uh, for her, her demos. And uh, I, I co-opted her space. Yeah. I ki- yeah, I kicked her out. I kicked okay. her out. This was my <laughs> wife's office. Now it's my kid's sort of uh, uh, mini studio and well most people are just listening to this without visuals uh, so hey you know people, what? what Ari's <laughs> staring at a palatial palace with <laughs> exquisite design I was gonna say it. I mean yes. that marble yes. it's perfectly polished yes. I can see myself from here through it Thanks, um, <laughs> so um, what would you I guess getting to the what, while you're in the room and um, kind of the dynamics, like you're saying, you know, you're typically a top liner. Um, talk to me about most sessions that you're doing these days and who is usually in the room. You mentioned that artists are usually in the room. It, is it typically like there's a producer, like they sometimes call it the driver, the track guy you mentioned, the artist maybe who's kind of there, you know, and then yeah. you or, or how do sessions yeah, that, work these days? That, that's it. I'll tell you, I'm giving away a little a little secret here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ordinarily at this point, it's going to be, somebody uh track person 
who is okay. sort of handling, you know, the beat and just sort of keeping it going. Mm-hmm. Unless we're just, if I'm writing with a singer songwriter and it's intimate, I want to keep it intimate at all costs. Engineer me, singer songwriter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that is rhythm based or, or, you know, a band is going to hit or whatever, there's probably a track guy in the room, track person. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, and myself and the artist. And what I've done is going into that session, let's say the session's on a Monday, let's say I have two days with the artist, Monday and Tuesday. The Saturday and Sunday before, I've scoured the internet for any interview with the artist, both on YouTube and or on print. Hmm. And I've made notes of uh, their patterns of speech in terms of their vernacular, things they like to say, are they, you know, are they coy? Are they funny? Are the, you know, um, are they giving me any insight into where they're headed with the record? I don't wait till I get in a room with an artist where I say, hey, what do you want to do? And I get some canned response of like, well, I don't want to do what I've done before. I'm, I want to get everything I can find on the internet about an artist. And when I have that intel, then I sit down on my own, I pull out a guitar, I took my, you know, five random chords that are at my disposal and I, uh, I strum. <laughs> and what I'm doing is I'm really just trying to find a pocket and a feel. And, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that I'm some sort of way station or something where, you know, these ideas are going to land and something's going to funnel down. But the second I hear something that that I can build upon, mm. I instantly just start singing different variations of what it could be. And although my chords are pedestrian at best, what I'm doing is I'm hearing where melodies sit. Then I go and listen to the artist and I sort of figure out where their range is, right? And what, you know, so let's get in a key of where their stuff has been historically. Then I'm gonna write a verse and a chorus and I'm gonna hit pocket two ideas. And they're gonna be pretty high conceptual in terms of when I walk in the room. because I know how competitive it is, I'm gonna write crazy. I'm gonna to try to write crazier than the next person. Hmm. And if I fail, I know it's probably not the right fit. Hmm. But if they're if they're um, amused, then I know we can mold it. I have these in my, my back pocket when I walk in the room. Now, the flip side is sometimes I'll do some Tom Cruise as a salesman in the, in, uh, in a Magnolia type bit or whatever. I'm just doing, you know, to yeah. try to sell it through. And sometimes I'm full of shit and I just come in and I, you know, I say, Oh, you know, I just, this can't, Oh, I hear it right now. Oh, <laughs> sure. you know, I do yeah, what I yeah. method. I have no fear of method acting. I do what yeah. I have to do. <laughs> but the point is I'm going to try to at least introduce two ideas that I am passionate about specifically for the artist. These are not mm. ideas that I pitched to the last artist down the street. Mm. These are sort of concepts that I've written with a, with, a, you know, with a framework of who this person is. I've watched all their previous videos. I've done the, I've done the work, as they say, I've done the work. Mm. And what happens with that is, look, man, I, I can be greeted with literally a, a, a jaw drop of, yep. you know, where someone's just absolutely blown away. And I can be greeted with a look of horror by somebody who's like, this is the worst fit ever. Please get me out of this room. <laughs> but the truth is, you know, um, as my friend Shep and his band, the American authors said, go big or go home. Mm-hmm. I, I I am not attempting to bunt. I am attempting to like be heard because I understand that the artist will then the next day when I'm done, get back on the treadmill 
and right with the next cat and then the yeah. next cat and the next cat. And I want to remember, I want to be memorable. I want to do something that makes the, at least either the artist or certainly the A&R think, wow, he really thought it through. He put the mm. effort in. Yeah. Mm. That's great. I love that. And there, oh my gosh, there's so many gems there. And it's just like, you know, I think we hear a lot of times about the song starts, like coming to a session with some starts. And that's like where you, you know, have these song ideas, but you don't do that. You prepare for the artist that you're going to be working with, which I think is, I mean, that's, that's, um, it's why you're so successful. I mean, because you, you're not just you, you're not just paint by numbers here. You're not going to a session and be like, oh, well, I'm great. I got 22 hits under my belt. I got billions of streams here. I've won so many awards and platinum records like they should be so honored to write with me. But you're the opposite. You're like, I'm putting in the work I'm preparing for this artist. And I can't wait to see what we can kind of create together. Because you know what, there's a there's a there's going to be an 18 year old kid who's a freshman at some school, be it Berkeley, Belmont, or a community college in the middle of this country, who is already um, would have a better inside track of permeating that record because he's uh, he or she is young and cool and you know dialed in to whatever is happening in the second maybe they're a huge fan of that artist and they yeah. are and i'm competing with that they're going to be able to party with the artist after the session i'm right. going to go home and eat spaghetti on my couch right. so you know i <laughs> i know I, I i've never i i just i don't take this for granted man yeah. you know yeah. i yeah like you said it, it's great to have accolades and success but trust me, I have a lot of friends in this business who had a lot of accolades and success who sort of have been put out to pasture. Sure. And it's not by a lack of um, ability. They're fantastic. But the game changed and it constantly yeah. evolves and the artists evolve and the temperament of artists evolve. And even, you know, not to not to sort of uh, not to uh, to sort of uh, flip this to sports. But the one thing I would say is if you look at sports, right, if you talk to an old school coach, a Parcells in football or one of these guys, you know, they have to coach players in each generation different. <laughs> you know, you're the baby boomer football players wore leather helmets or something and knocked each other in the head and blood were coming to their face and they would stop. And then the Gen X players were a little different and the millennials, you know, needed a different sort of touch and feel. And it is constantly evolving. I mean, each generation is different um, socially and you know, have, have to be able to adapt to that. And sometimes old school wiring, you know, will get you nowhere. So yeah. for me, the most important thing is to constantly learn and constantly outwork, out hustle, mm -hmm. outlast, survivor, Jeff Probst, CBS, just constantly, you know, that's the game, man. Mm, you know, if you want to be in this, like you have to. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, a few years ago, I guess like three years ago, you sold your catalog to hypnosis. Can you discuss that a little bit? What does that mean? And why'd you do it? Wow. Um, you know, it was a very, uh, it was a tricky situation in terms of, you know, I had never even, pondered the idea of a catalog sale because you know i remember 10 or 11 years ago i believe uh cara diagardi and claude kelly and some of the other writers of that era sold catalogs and i had never even heard the term 
I'm not joking. I, you know, I'm not business minded. I, thankfully, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by people who know what they're doing and I don't. So, you know, um, I've been blessed, but I really, it was one of those terms that was floating around. And then I believe it was when songs sold to Cobalt, I started reading articles about multiples and the multiples were increasing in these deals and blah, blah. What does so, that mean, multiples? Uh, you're going to help me verbalize it, but it's the, the, the multiple, the, they, 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 the price that's affixed to your catalog when they give you an offer, uh -huh. they've worked out a figure over whatever your earnings are for one year. Yeah. I believe they multiply it over, you can negotiate, but 15 to 17 to 20 times Got that it. number is the check they're giving you. Okay. You know, okay. and that it's very mathematical because they're working off of obviously they have all the data in front of them. So they're working sure. off of both uh, streaming numbers and where they believe streaming will be in a few years based sure. on legalities, et cetera. And then obviously radio play and recurrent play, et cetera. And they have these formulas that I have no idea how they figure this stuff out. Sure. But, you know, I, I was in New York. Uh, I went home for Thanksgiving and I had coffee with a, a really close friend of mine who's a writer named Greg Waddenberg. He's a great writer. And, you know, we were just catching up and we we're just doing shop talk about sessions because, you know, there's a bunch of us who've been in it this long that we share material. We're, we're just all that tight. Sure. And, you know, sort of who's working, who's writing, what artists are great, what artists aren't the right fit, blah, blah, blah. And he said, hey, man, he said, you've obviously put your catalog in the market. And I just looked at him puzzled. Why, why would I put my catalog in the market? He said, oh, man, he said, you got you got a lot of hits at, a, at the right time. This is the time to do it. And I said, oh, well, look, I've had, you know, hits for 10 years, 12 years, whatever. I don't know what's different. He said, no, but this is your moment. Hmm. They're going to. And what sold me was that um, when we bundled it together, they were willing to do a uh, they were willing to do uh, the multiples based on a very specific period of time mm -hmm. over four or five years of my career and work it off of that mathematical thing and the multiples of that. And honestly it was a lot of money and for me i would tell you that i saw it uh i thought it would reinvigorate me and what i mean by that is i had spent i've been writing you know i've been doing this 30 years mm -hmm. and the first 15 years of my career were mired in futility at a level that no one will ever process which is why i did write this book because uh i i just everything i touched failed and flopped and blah 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 and i really i was at the bottom and then the next 15 years have been magical for me at least. And I wanted to, uh, to, to get to that level, whatever level I got to, I, I was doing whatever, 200 sessions a year, man. I was grinding and I was taking a lot of sessions that aesthetically I might've passed on if I had had the opportunity, but I knew I had to take it because there were lotto tickets and you never know and you never know and you never know. But what I felt that was doing was conflicting with my art in terms of there were passion projects in my life and ideas that I wanted to chase and I never had the time to do it. Mm. And what the catalog sale, um, you know, what what um, the, the, the end result was I was free finally to really follow my musical lead more than my wallet. And mm. 
that has been the most empowering thing that's ever happened to me because I'm writing harder than ever now, but wow. I'm doing things that I never could have taken the shot. I'm developing a musical like and all these other things that I wouldn't have taken a flyer on because I thought it would take me out of the game. And maybe I'm out of the game for nine months and I'm out of it. I did a, a TV show for NBC last year called sure. Ordinary Joe that Roden produced all the songs on, the original songs. And what's funny about that is that was 10 months of like real work. And yep. you know what? So it, I had limited sessions during that time. I would have been killing myself if I hadn't done this. I would have been doing uh, sessions every morning from sure. nine till noon, then right. getting on the show and stuff like that. That's not healthy. That's not quality of life. I wanted yeah. to see my daughter grow. I wanted right. to be a human, man. Because, you know? no, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, because you're saying you'd be killing yourself for the lottery tickets, just to explain that a little bit. When you write a song, you're not being paid for the session while you're in the session writing that song. No one is paying you to sit down and write a song with an artist or with a producer, brother, right? Brother, we have no sexy 401ks. We have right. no stock options. <laughs> right. We have, you know, I don't have a corner office with a view of Central Park. Right. I I'm a sole practitioner in my in my little little hub, and yeah, there are certain writers who um, who have been um, who are able to demand uh, writer fees. You know, I never even entertained the thought of it because yeah. at the end of the day, look, I want to stand by my work. I'm confident yeah. in what I do. I believe if if an artist is in a room with me. We're going to do something pretty, if, if the match is right, we'll do something great. But the flip side is, man, nothing's guaranteed. Right. So, you know, the these are all, it's like we're gambling every single day. And you're gambling, you're betting on yourself. Yeah, because if the song, I mean, you're only really making money if the song becomes a radio hit. Is that right? It, the only money I've ever seen were radio hits and um, sync, and songs that synced. In sync, right. And so even though, you know, we're in this streaming era, but unfortunately, if you get, you know, a deep cut on an album that doesn't become a hit on the radio, because radio, just for people listening, uh, you know, the money that songwriters earn from radio, it's, it's performance royalties from your PRO, your ASCAP or your BMI. And that can add up to be a significant amount from terrestrial radio play versus streaming revenue. You know, the most current rate, which they just increased the rates and all of that, blah, blah, blah. You're looking at, you know, uh, about a fifth of what the artists are making from streaming. That's right. And, you know, the artists and the labels. And so it's it's small. And you might think, oh, like, you know, you know, the artists aren't making a lot from streaming. Well, guess what? The songwriters are making a fifth of that. So yeah, I, when, when, it's funny because when artists post uh, with these diatribes against Spotify, I'm always like, hello, think of how we feel. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, that you're completely correct. And, you know, I um, it, it it's tricky, man. It's like, you know, it's uh, um a radio hit will change your life to some extent. Absolutely. Depending mm -hmm. on what it is and the, and the enormity of it. And it's amazing, but radio is also not what radio was. Sure. That's changing sure. too. Yeah. So look for writers coming up, man, in the new music business. See what I did there. Uh -huh. um, the one thing I would say is, you know, the, you're going to, the approach is so different because it, it, everything is just shifting on a dime. And I don't know how all the finances will work out. You know, 
The flip side is, you know, in Spotify's defense, you know, it's pretty neat that in the old days we called them demos and they were cassettes and nothing ever happened with them, but you hope that maybe someone listened. And now you put that same demo on Spotify. And if you get a few million listeners or whatever, you suddenly made 8,000, you have the master or whatever, that that can fuel you to make creative moves, you know? So it is changing and I just, you know, as a landscape shifts, it's, you know, I just think you have to sometimes take an honest, um, an honest uh, look in the mirror and say, where do I fit into all of this? Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, by selling a catalog, it freed me to, to make all sorts of um, sort of uh, creative uh, moves that I wanted to make. But more importantly, it lit a match under me, man, because huh. I want to do it again. I want to do it all over again. I own everything I've done from 2020 on. And I'm thinking to myself, and it doesn't mean I don't want, like, it's not about money, but it just gives you something else. Like there, there, sometimes we need a shove, you know, I have all sorts of emotional calluses that sit all over me. And I, I have to, um, you know, I have to uh, sometimes stimulate them and wake them up and say, Oh, remember this, remember that. Because to wake up in the morning, some days I don't want to wake up and do this, but I know, man, that you can do it, you know, remember when, remember when, you know, that, that, that asshole of a football coach, you know, um, picked on you in front of the whole team, sure. you know, I can, st- that stimulates me, man. I wake up with all right, you know what? I'm not, I'm not done. I got, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. Yeah. So yeah. I still think sometimes that's, we need things to light a match. And that's, no, that's, that's it. great. And that's great to hear. I mean, I, I think, uh, I, my perception would have been, uh, you sell the catalog, make a bunch of money and then go live on an Island or something. And like, boom, you're retired. But it's like, you kind of want the opposite way. It's like you're, it lit that match and let that fire. Because just to, to clarify, just so I understand this correctly, and people who are listening who have no concept of selling catalogs, like you just said, you didn't understand that before either. Uh, and I might still not. Sure. So just just baseline, top yeah. level, you're essentially sold your publishing. You're no longer going to be making royalties in any form. I sold my uh, writers and my publishing. I sold 100%. You sold everything away. So no more royalties are flowing in mm-hmm. from anywhere oh. for the previous songs. They're now at Hypnosis and they're collecting all the performance. Yeah. Catalog. And it's what's funny about it is, you know, when, when songs air in commercials from my catalog, mm-hmm. no one even alerts me. So uh, <laughs> you don't know I'll have a friend hit me oh. and say, hey, I just heard your song and something. I said, oh, really? Wow, yeah. cool. But you know what? Look, I. I, I cool. No, it makes for, sense. But my name, you know, the most important thing is they can't take my name off of it. It was my art. It was my work. That's right. And that that means more to me than the money or anything. It just means that I, I created something yeah. and I have no idea how long it will uh, stay in the consciousness but every day that it does, it was the coolest thing I ever did in my life outside of having, you know, getting, having a wife and kids. I love it. So, so t- what inspired you to write this book, 21 Hit Wonder? Why the book and when did you realize you needed to write this? And, and, and what do you hope people are, are going to take away from this? Well, Ari, I'll tell you. Um, my, um, my parents were incredible artists themselves. Um, they were fascinating and... There were these there were these world class intellectuals who were also, you know, uh, my old man was a modern dancer with the Jose Limon troupe, and then um, when he retired, went back to Yale and uh, became an architect, and was with Philip Johnson, and just was like this heavy cat. My mom was equally heavy, and 
you know, as you will learn in chapter one in the book, you know, I don't give, uh, you know, she was Andy Warhol's partner in, uh, um, in a, in a little restaurant. She, you know, they, they went in on that together and she was also wow. his interior decorator for a moment in time. And I spent a lot of time with him, not a lot of time, but a little time with him. And that's how chapter one is framed. But the, the, my parents were fascinating and they were infinitely more interesting than I am. And they died back to back. And when they passed away, um, I, I, I scoured the internet for mentions of them because I wanted my daughter to know the backstory of her grandparents who she didn't get to know very well. Mm. And there was so little out there. You know, there was so little out there. There was, you know, I found a Vogue article about my mom in 1978, but then a book took the article and a book came out and she had sort of been whitewashed from the, from the history. And, you know, my dad, there's mentions, but it didn't get to the soul of who these people were and how they thought. And when they died back to back, it sort of, uh, I spiraled a little bit and I thought, well, you know what? I, um, I want my life on record for my kid. And that's what birthed it. But what's funny about it was as I went into this, you know, I began to really connect with the side of myself that was honestly the consummate underdog in this industry. And, you know, I, I just, I struggled for so many years. And when I struggled and failed, uh, as you'll learn, man, like the first six records I made, um, well, I was an art, first of all, I was a failed rapper, a failed DJ, a failed uh, rapper with a imitation German accent, a failed mm -hmm. Techno beat maker, a failed house beat maker, a failed <laughs> drum and bass beat maker. Yeah. Um, I spent my 34th year on the planet uh, doing drum programming on kids' bop records, not producing, but doing the drum programming and editing ringtones for jam bands. So I would take 40 minute opuses and cut them down to 15 seconds. Wow. And what happens at that point, <laughs> if you're 34 and uh -huh. The first six albums you've made for major labels, five weren't released. The sixth came out on September 11, 2001, and was basically a, a very aggressive rap album with uh, an American flag cover. The band was dropped by Warner Brothers two weeks after the record was released and pulled yeah. off tour. You yeah, know, it was the right, it was the wrong messaging for America at the time. Right. Um, you know, uh, the seventh was a group called the Cooler Kids that were signed to DreamWorks. DreamWorks immediately folded and Interscope and dropped. I had um, everything I touched was a absolute colossal disaster. And what I realized was there is a segment of the creative population that has not been served in songwriting memoirs. And what I mean by that is there have been some great books, but I'll meet a young writer and you know, uh, I'll ask them, hey, you know, have you read any sort of uh, books by professional songwriters, you know? And they'll always say, oh, yeah, the Dave Grohl book's awesome. You know, oh, the Jeff Tweedy book's great. Right. They are great. Yeah. But that's a different business, man. Yes. If yes. you're trying to do what we do for a living, yeah. there haven't been that many books. You've certainly written one, uh, Shelley Pikin. I liked Shelley's book a lot, but you know, there, I just felt like there was a voice for that, that um, for the uh, creatively underserved of those who have been doing this over and over and are hitting a wall. And 
it, it, the only sort of uh, the, the 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 sign above their heads is futility, and the problem is those those people. I've done this for 30 years and I had two careers. I had that career and then I had another career. And I try to just illustrate all the examples of in these records and all these colossal misses that I had, the role that I played. Because, hmm. you know, it's so easy. I've read so many books where, you know, we vilify a record label or this or that, but that's sure. not the problem. It begins with us. As the writer, the producer, you have to be able to identify the flaws in your art and your work and figure out what could have been different if you're looking to do things on a broader level. And that's why I get under the hood of my own mistakes creatively. And then, um, and then you know, eventually we get to the shift. And how did that happen? How did I put myself in a position for it to happen? And then once I got there and I had a bunch of hits in a row and it was everything I dreamed of, then suddenly it dried up instantly. Mm. How did I react to it drying up instantly? How did I shift? How did I, you know, uh, change lanes and change genres? How did I, you know, um, constantly move and maneuver to stay in this mm. while getting better at the art? And wow. I think it's an important book for kids, man, who are starting mm. out. I also equally think it's a it's written for the 60 year old who has retired from one job and always wanted to write a damn song. And here's cool. how I went about it. How old were you when you wrote your first hit? I was 35 years old when I had my first hit. Thirty five. Wow. Phil Galston had his first hit, I believe, at 42 was Save the Best for Last for Vanessa Williams. Dan Wilson was 37 when he wrote Closing Time and 45, I think, when he won the Grammy for the Dixie Chicks album. And even older, 50, maybe when he wrote Someone Like You with Adele. 100 percent. Yeah. You know, great. The, I Very think, inspiring. you know, when I was young, the one thing I would say is that even when I was young and snotty, I was never, ever an ageist because I was smart enough to know that the ones who came before me were masters at the craft yep. and I respected them. And I never, ever put anybody mentally out to pasture because I thought, man, if they've done it, look, I, I'm one of those people who believes anybody can have one hit. I really do. And that's yep. what I cheer that on. I do not believe everybody can have two hits. I believe everybody can have one, sure, but, sure. you know, but after one, man, there's like, you got to get really, you got to figure that you got to really figure it out. You know, yeah. it doesn't happen. You know, you know, you, you, you shoot that dart at the moon and sometimes you hit it, but you don't yeah. hit it twice. So I, love it. I would say um, at the end of the day for, uh, for me, you know, I look at Dan, I look at, you know, you know, Diane Warren, Mm -hmm. You know, who's had this just impeccable career, you know, and look, here's how, look, man, whenever my kid looks at me with the eye of like, dude, you're old, I think to myself, I'm like, you know, I'm younger than Jay-Z. I'm younger than Diddy by a couple sure. of months. Sure. Come on, man. They're, they're fresh as, they're they're fresh as hell. Yeah. Nas yeah. and Kanye are close. Like, oh my gosh, oh, right. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. You know, so right. I, 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 I don't believe age really is a number. And I'll tell you. I've worked with a lot of uh, of the old guard, man. I've worked with, you know, Carol King and Ringo Starr and, yep. you know, the OJs and Mike Lovin and Tom Jones. And one thing I can tell you about all these people, the vitality in these people uh, is significantly uh, more revved up than any kid I've ever met, you know? Cool. 
I mean, if you see Ringo, if you're in a room with Ringo and he's digging the idea that we're writing, he starts pogoing up and down, dude. It's like you're at a rave. It, like he reminds you of one of those kids who's done a ton of ecstasy. Like and he's yeah. like, woo, woo, woo. He is so incredibly driven and focused wow. and limber. And it's just, so you see that and you think, man, like it, it never ends. Just just keep going and, mm. and, and love it and good things happen. Well, Sam, so many gems. Uh, so appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this with everyone. I know everyone listening to this uh, tremendously appreciates it. I have one final question that I have asked everyone who comes on the show. And what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Okay. I like that question. I would say to make it, it means that you honestly have been seduced by anarchy. You know, you, you are innately you're a, a, a disruptor and you're you you are entering the stage knowing that this is insanity everything you learned throw out previously because it is shifting and just stay alert stay focused and realize most importantly that there are many lanes to success and success is no longer you know, um, something that is as definable as it was, there are a million types of success and there's a success for you. Everybody can find a home in this thing if you really put the work in. I'll give you a perfect example, right? This summer, I, I wrote one of these Def Leppard singles that came out, right? I went to see Def Leppard play City Field. That's a stadium. Mm -hmm. They killed it. They played the song. When it was over... I went to Spotify. The song has a million streams to date, right? If I do the math and you and I are actually doing the formula, I don't know if that paid my gas to get out to the stadium as a songwriter. <laughs> right. but the flip side is I worked with Def Leppard and I sung my song in a stadium. So and that is what I can wake up in the morning fulfilled by. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, Find out just inside of you as you go forward in this new music business, you know, keep your eyes open, keep your vision focused. But most importantly, just just figure out what brings you joy in this and mm -hmm. what is the ceiling? What the, you know, if you've created a ceiling, shatter it and make a new one and go higher. But no matter what, never, um, never adhere to the to the lessons of. Um, you know, of the industry in the past because it has all been thrown out. It is a brand new game. And they, and most importantly, the gatekeepers no longer hold the power that they did. Some were patrons of the arts back in the day. Many weren't, you know, many were just capitalists. And the most important thing now is if you keep like a punk DIY mentality, as you approach this, you hold the cards more than they do. Mm. And that's the most powerful feeling in the world. And if I could be 18 again and experience that, oh my God, you know, I'd be Jello by Africa. So. <laughs> Sam Hollander, thank you so much. That was great. Brother, thank you so much, man. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. 
This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. 